take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. I am here with a dear and wonderful friend, and I'm so excited that our first attempt at recording a podcast, gosh, what was it, like nine months, ten months ago? I think Um, it was a year ago. Gosh, a year ago. So it, you're right, more than a year ago. Like, oh, holy moly. Um, (laughs) I thought it was amazing. I thought everything she had to say was, like, brilliant. But let's be honest we were both exhausted and so Jenny was like hey could we do that again and a a year passed and I reached out yesterday and I was like Jenny let's record the podcast and I'm so excited we waited because you have done so much innovative and adaptive work that you have inspired me and I'm sure you'll inspire others um, with your ministry and just the way that you pivoted so I cannot wait to hear and talk about all the things but um but Jenny Edwards Bertrand, why don't you, from Northern Illinois, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and Hope Church and just your, your baby, your church plan? Okay, well, I am actually in the central Illinois, in the middle of Illinois. We're uh, two, I'm halfway between Chicago and St. Louis. Um, what do you want me to tell you? All of it? A little bit of it? <laughs> well, how long, how long ago did it start? Like something I love about your church plan is it kind of evolved out of a campus ministry, right? So talk That's to us right. a little bit about that. How, how is this distinct or different from a traditional campus ministry setting? Well, if I go all the way back to 2006 and I was asked, I was invited to go back to my alma mater and, um, the campus ministry had about eight students that stuck around, and I. The first day I was there, I opened the checking account, and it had forty-four dollars. So I had to figure, and I was now my DS will um, deny this, but he said, "This is my memory, Jenny. Get this thing turned around, or we're going to shut it." Which is fair. And I, um, sitting on a campus of 20,000 students, I thought, there's no reason this isn't thriving, but, you know, $44 to do all the evangelism work in ministry. (laughs) So I had to learn how to fundraise quickly. And then um, that ministry ended up growing to um, triple digits. So um, it's a lot of fun. And in the summer of 2007, I went to a church planting boot camp. Because I thought, I can't find good campus ministry models. I'm going to turn to the church planting world. And I was at that boot camp with everyone listening to this podcast knows Christian Kuhn and Trey Hall. We were at the same boot camp. That's when they were birthing um, what came to be known as Urban Village Church. I used those same tactics um, and strategies to build the campus ministry. And, um, and then I'm in a... At small city, 100,000 people, we really could have had a, um, we should have had a new church start, a Methodist new church start. There are three big churches. You, everyone listening to this podcast knows what's the best way to start a church, a second site out of a large church, right? Yeah. So So all of those churches were asked. Then they were all asked again. Then I was asked. So I always joke that I was plan G 
in the turkey <laughs> or plan j for jenny yeah exactly yeah yeah they probably had other plans too and like okay fine i think bless his heart jim griffith said to our developer mike crawford do you have any evangelistically effective campus ministries because that would be a good place to um that is a person who knows how to build stuff and so I got the phone call. And then, of course, there's all the processes with boards and DSs and bishops, the whole deal. And I decided we plant. So we had to get the board of directors to decide to launch this church. Now, many people know Amanda Garber's story and rise. Here's how mine is different. The campus ministry was already thriving and we launched a church so i got to have the strangest two-point charge in methodism of a church planter and a wesley foundation director at the same time are you serious and rachel <laughs> oh god it's so exhausting i also finished my doctorate and adopted two babies in the midst of that but um they can't see me. I'm doing the you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy now. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Enneagram three. So it's what I, it's all I know how to do. Me too, um, girl. Yay. Get it done. Get it done. Um, do you know that July 1st, 2020 is the first time I've had a chance to um, just be the pastor of this church? Are you serious? Yes. So that whole time I was doing two things. It's amazing how much you can get done when you just have one church. Wow. So how many people from the campus ministry are also a part of the church plan? Is there oh, overlap? That is an, that's an excellent question. Back in 2012, um, when, I, when we were going to get to do this, I asked all these 21, 22-year-olds that were staying in town. They all thought it was awesome. Of course, most of them left, moved not left my church, like moved to other parts of the country. Um, but it was enough enthusiasm for me to say yes. Uh, about a dozen 23-year-olds and my husband and I got started. And I referenced adopting babies. My first baby came in the first month that I was supposed to be gathering a launch team. So really, we didn't get started until 2013 with our preview <sighs> services and that kind of thing. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my, my goodness. <laughs> it was Ryan and me and a baby and a dozen um, 23-year-olds. And then a couple who are still actively involved in the church who both have um, amazing technical skills and musical skills. That's Perfect. a God thing. Hello. Yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need. So... Um, we launched weekly worship in 2014, and and uh, here we are. What, what other details do you want? I don't want to share too much. Well, I want to keep bragging. Like something I think is really beautiful about the faith community you started is when it came time for general conference and delegates, like your laity stepped up and found their voice and invested in this process. Can you say a little bit about that? Sure. So from the very beginning, um, and at the time, the bishop in the Illinois Great Rivers Conference was Bishop Gregory Palmer. And I said, the only way I can with integrity launch a church is if it's fully LGBTQ inclusive 
from the start. So if that's going to be a problem, don't give me the go ahead. Don't give me the green light on church planting. And he said he would expect nothing less. And um, <laughs> so we get to um, 19, which is the point in time where I really thought the denomination was going to catch up with where our church already was. It did not. And um, I was sitting at general conference with actually a little group of people from my church. None of us were involved yet, but on the drive home from St. Louis up to Bloomington, about two hours, we thought we can either cry about this or we can do something. And my husband's a professional writer. He wrote a press release for us and we had cameras at the church the next day. We got to kind of, um, uh, control the narrative, if you will, in um, in this space, in Bloomington Normal, and word spread about our church. It, we fortunately had a good space by that point. So that Sunday um, after general conference is when uh, we kind of started to boom and our momentum really took off and people in the community began to know about us. And it wasn't simply young adults, it was families whose 13 year old had come out and they wanted a faith community for their whole family. So all of a sudden we went from being this, where I was the old, I was the oldest person in the church to people of all ages. And we really developed our identity as an intergenerational church at that point, which is complicated when you come from a campus ministry. Yeah. And um, then we got involved in, um, uh, we flipped the delegation in our conference and four of the people that were elected are from my church. Now, um, not everyone's going to general conference, it's jurisdictional and then reserve delegates, but it, of that whole group, four are from Hope Church. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Illinois Great River should be proud. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave some people unnamed mutual acquaintances that we both have that may not have been as thrilled. But I think it's amazing when people say, wow, I want to enact change. I'm not going to walk away from this yeah. denomination. I want to help, like you said, shape that narrative and remind people what our calling is here. Yes, yes. And I'm so, because there was this point in time where we were... We were in the car and we could have become deflated and depressed. And we gave each other a pep talk to say, hey, why don't we claim our prophetic voice at this time? Wow. And what was really crazy, so when I stood up in church that Sunday morning, all of my people could have said, forget it. I am not. I am walking away from this. And instead, they previous to that, they didn't even know we were Methodist, but um, that Sunday they claimed, no, we are United Methodist and United Methodists are also inclusive. Wow. I love that. Well, here's hoping general conference comes when it's safe to gather so that, um, you know, your delegates and jurisdictional and all those so that they can show up and continue to shape that narrative and um, make their voices heard. That's awesome. What's cool is we built a relationship with the local um, news stations now. So like when the protocol was released, 
we got a call. Hey, can we come to worship? Of course, come join us. So, uh, that's a fun connection as well. Okay, something I love about you and your ministry there is how like incredibly gifted you are at networking and connecting with people and with COVID and the outbreak and, and all the stress and anxiety that's brought to so many. Tell me about how you intentionally responded to the needs of your community and all the little voices we might hear in the background of this podcast as a result <laughs> of that outreach. <laughs> Well, probably like every single clergy person in the United States, I thought, huh, do we have enough wiggle room to, if we don't collect an offering for how many months uh, to make it? And we were very direct in saying, Hope Church needs to exist on the other side of this, and um, we're going to do the best that we can. And our people continue to show up, even though we haven't had in-person worship since early March. Wow. And um, to be engaged, we've continued to connect with new people and people are even giving us their address. So then we can mail them the first time guest gift that we can't give them in person and all, all of that stuff. So fast forward, it's July. Schools in our area have gone back and forth. Will we be in person? Won't we be in person? And then um, they make the call full remote, both districts. And um, we began to see anyone with means, with social capital, with um, connections form pods. And all of a sudden, it was the school counselors and um, special education teachers that said, the kids that are going to be left in the dust are the ones who have single working parents, or maybe both parents are working and they're just going to be left home alone. We are, we worship in a bank. Um, so we call our sanctuary, the sanctuary. It's not big, <laughs> <laughs> it's not big enough to space out. We can cram 200 people in there, but it's, we can't space it out. We couldn't have little kids in there because they just run. So we thought, what if we open this up for remote learning for 25 to 40, because we could space that out junior high and high school students. Mm. And we put that out there to our people. Would you respond with money to do this? Would you respond with volunteering? And uh, we got, yes, we, people gave money and people volunteered. Wow. Incredible. We have a young, we do still have a younger congregation. So not many retired people, but people who are still working fully remote will bring their laptops here and be present with the kids while they do their work and, and work. It's amazing, isn't it? it I think you have a pod happening right there in your home, don't you? I, I do. We've swapped pod stories. You were part of the inspiration for me because you're right. Like oh. even here in Nashville, you hear that families with means are like hiring private teachers or having mm -hmm. a coach come in to run it. And we're like, what do you do if you don't have money, at, but you don't want to send your kids so in Nashville, you had a choice, but like right now, elementary kids are going five days a week. 
in person, no masks required. And so for some folks that just didn't feel like the safest option, right? So so we went on like Facebook and found some families and, and now they bring their kids here from seven till four every day. Cause yeah, I can, we're doing the podcast while they're outside playing wiffle ball. And my husband has been a saint, like with the scheduling and the timers go off. They know when to hop on live sessions and yes. um, it's beautiful. We represent with the junior high and high schools, like seven different schools, they all have a different schedule. So most of our thing, like the first month was figuring out everyone's schedules. We got an old phone that someone wasn't using and just created timers. It's the time, like there's a timer phone upstairs. And when it goes off, you look at it and it's like, okay, Jaden needs to hop on math. Okay. Raven (laughs) needs to go do this. That is exactly what we've done. And we like synced it with Alexa. So when she starts singing, they know, uh-oh, five minutes till, yeah. Okay. And figuring out all those platforms, it's yeah. like, like we were talking about earlier, it's like hard, but holy work, right? Like it's really important, yeah. but sometimes it can be overwhelming. And, and we only have two of our seven kids have IEPs. So we've got to factor that in, in terms of the mm-hmm. um, accommodations, but you have a lot of kids, right? With, with I IEP. think every student here has an IEP. Wow. What a gift for them then to have that kind of structured environment, that community support and someone just to make sure that they have everything they need to succeed the school year. That first week in August that they were here, um, we had snacks out. It was before the school districts had really organized how they were going to do food. And so we were buying all the food and um, kids just ate. I mean, And you could tell that there were some kids that had been nervous about where they would get food since March. So from March to August, and then by the second or third week, um, they, they didn't, they stopped hoarding food because, okay, there's a security, there's always going to be food here. And it was funny, you know, with, as church plants, we don't have things like lots of tables, like every other Every traditional church in, I mean, established church in America has a million church tables. One of the things we had to buy was tables. We didn't own tables. (laughs) And we wanted them to be exactly the same. So every kid had the same desk. Mm. And um, because people would have dropped off their old crappy tables. We didn't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we had to go buy a big refrigerator because one of the school districts sends five days of food for breakfast and lunch when it's pickup day. So we have to, we didn't own a refrigerator. It was like, why is the church plants doing this? We didn't have a refrigerator. We didn't have tables, (laughs) Uh, but we were willing to think as every church planter listening to this, know, we're willing to think creatively. We didn't have a bunch of rules to jump over. Um, We didn't have to go through a million committees. Yeah. the need and respond. I love that. And I hope that folks from like traditional established chartered churches are listening and saying, wow, what does my community need that I haven't been able to hear or I've been too afraid to hear and respond to with obedience and faithfulness? Because you're right. Think about it. How many Methodist churches are out there that are empty all day, every day, while kids are home alone trying to learn with no support and no, you know, place to get food or snacks. So, uh, it's heartbreaking, but I, I talked to a lot of established church pastors who were like, well, the trustees are nervous. What about liability? What about our volunteers or if they get COVID? And so, yes, like there, 
we don't, we want to be smart. We want to keep people safe. And yet you have found a way to adapt and to offer this beautiful ministry and it's thriving and you're smiling. It's good, right? It's bringing life. <laughs> to the- we're spaced out. We are very strict about masks and because it's a 1970s building, all the windows open. So we can keep the air particles flowing. We got calls from parents that first week was really cold here in Illinois. Um, uh, the parents were like, why are the windows open? We're like, we'll turn up the heat. Like it's, <laughs> we have this old boiler system. I don't know if people remember like back in the day in a grade school where it, it's either on or it's off. So the boiler system is going, it's really hot. And even when it's 30 degrees outside, we'll have windows open to keep those air particles flowing to keep everyone safe. That's amazing. I love that. I love your heart and spirit to reach out and to help the community and help these kids. You You know what was cool? And this every church planner will think this is cool. We then connected with people who would never connect to church. Um, a dear friend who lives around the corner from me, who is a grief counselor and a yoga teacher and um, would identify as more spiritual than religious, not only donated money for this to happen, but um, her yoga studio had to close in the midst of COVID. And she donated her reception desk, which is a custom made, beautiful desk. Um, part of her story is that uh, her first husband was killed in a training um, flight as um, at Top Gun. And um, so her father-in-law, Reed, her husband's name was Reed, Reed's father custom made that desk. And that's now the desk that welcomes all of these students coming in each day where they get their temperature taken and their name, uh, their name tag. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. Like that beautiful labor of love has been passed on. And like someone who you're right, would not have any formal relationship with a faith community is now giving really sacrificially because she believes in what y'all are doing. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Okay. There is hope, right? There's hope for the church. There's hope for church plans. We can do it. We can serve yes. the community. We can meet needs um, and we can fund it. So a little birdie told me that you have been <laughs> talking to church planters about funding strategies. Uh, tell us what you're thinking, seeing, experiencing, recommending along those regards. Well, um, the developer in my conference asked if I would talk about funding. So it made me think about how we've been funded over the years. And I had this realization, and I did not say this this clearly yesterday, but when we're fundraising from churched people, so when you're in that mode of asking your churched friends and family, which ask your church friends and family for money, and churches to give money, share the vision, like money follows vision. We were all taught that. We all read John Maxwell, money follows vision. (laughs) And if you're in a an established church, you maybe even experienced that. I my first appointment we raised in my first two months four point five million dollars to do a building project. Money follows vision, so that's just how I always thought of it. With unchurched millennials and Gen Zers, um, money doesn't follow. You can, I mean, you have to have vision, obviously, but it is not that easy, and so. I think what I was trying to say is, in addition to not being shy to ask all of the people to partner with you, while you're developing the stewardship and generosity 
of your unchurched millennials and younger, you have to really be clear about their motivation. And what I've learned is you have to actually share that there's a budget, which is crazy because you know how we were taught back in the day, like don't teach people to give to a budget, teach them to give to God. Well, okay, that works for you and me, but my people didn't even know there was a budget. Wow. (laughs) Did not know. I remember um, they thought we were meeting in a movie theater. They thought the movie theater was letting us go there for free. They thought, you know, the swag was free. The signs were free. The advertising was free because we were at church. I had to do the first step of even saying, okay, things cost money. And where does that money come from? You. (laughs) I like that. When I found in church planting that um, I think you're right. You're totally spot on that money doesn't follow vision when you're working with like unchurched younger generations. But I found for me, there was a lot of pushback that they wanted the money to follow the mission. They were like, okay, we know that you have to pay rent and you got to pay salaries, but what are you giving you know, in outreach to our community, to educational pods like you guys are doing. Yeah. So having stories where, you know, com- the community is transformed and, yes. and people's basic needs are met really inspires Gen Z and millennials to say, okay, this feels good because I know it's making yeah. a difference. Um, we, people had never heard of tithing when I started. They just didn't know that word, of course. If you don't grow up in a church, you don't learn that. So the way we combined what you just said with teaching tithing is that we picked a one thing partner and um, tithed what they gave to the church to our one thing partner. So it gave us an opportunity at the end of each quarter. It's given us an opportunity at the end of each quarter when we know what we are giving to that partner to bring that person in, have them celebrate what's going on in the community. And it's sort of like a finance report because if you say how much is on that check they know how much they've given but it's in a um that was a secondary good thing that came out of it wow that's beautiful and you're right like the practical budgeting thing can really help them understand like there was this one year that we broke down everything like what does the toilet paper cost for one year and there was one millennial that's like i'm gonna buy all the toilet paper i know that's a necessity and it was like for $150, you have provided all bathroom essentials for your church. And it made that person feel very good. And we're like, well, awesome. But they had no idea. Like, they don't, they, I just come in, there's toilet paper. Someone just pays for the toilet paper fairy pays for it. I've had to say, like, you know how in an established church, there's maybe an endowment, there's maybe um, that old, a uh, wealthy person that you can give the phone call to and they'll make up the end. And like, that doesn't exist here. <laughs> the struggle is real, but you've been there long enough to know and identify and, and figure out how to communicate, be bi- bilingual of sorts, um, to help oh. them understand the importance of being generous because that's a hallmark of discipleship. And, and I love that you're talking about finances and you're telling them about it because in um, my conversations with some developers across the nation, they're like, wow, church planters are really scared to talk about finances. Oh. And you've got to talk about it. You've got to talk about it a lot. And people- a lot. I, even during the online, we're online only. I have kept an offering segment. It's like, no, that's, we have 52 times a year to talk about money. I am not losing that. And a week and a half ago on Sunday, I said, okay, 
for those of you who are brand new to Hope Church, you've never actually, you've only done this online. You don't see who you'd be sitting by. Please know as you look at me, I'm one of the oldest people. And um, <laughs> I, and if you wonder how we're funding and, you know, then I can list streaming fees, uh, the equipment, the camera, all of that. So that's very practical. And I said, for those of you that give a recurring gift and have kept that up, thank you. We praise you and or praise God and thank you for that gift. Um, if you are brand new, you can give a gift right now, kind of like a telethon. But why don't you take this time to do this right now? And we got three new gifts last week. And if you get a gift, then you get their address. So then we can send a thank you note and all of that. So then this week, I wanted to acknowledge that that had happened. So I brought it up and we got two more first-time gifts. And wow. one of them was someone we didn't even know had been worshiping with us. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. I yeah. love that. And you're bringing yeah. it up to like thank them, to celebrate it. And yeah. then that inspires other people. Wow, like, because yes. it feels good. It feels good to give. Yeah, yeah. and like um, these weren't gifts that are... These were like one person gave $15. That $15 represents someone who hadn't been to church before who trusted us with their $15. To me, that $15 is like uh, it's huge. A million dollars. It I yeah. love that. And it's not the amount of the gift, like you're sending a thank you note to everybody, regardless yeah. of the size, because for them, it is a sacrifice. They are investing. Yeah. They're saying, I care about what you're doing and yeah. I want to be a part of this. They trusted us to share all kinds of personal information in order to give that $15. Wow. That trust is huge. And it, this was um, a, actually two men who just adopted a baby that gave that money and didn't think that they were going to be able to find a church to raise their baby in. You're going to make me cry. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I know. And they're, of course, that whole family's just gorgeous. It's a beautiful oh. family. Like, wow. And I'm dying that we're not in person. I want to squeeze that baby. <laughs> I know, someday. <laughs> I know. Someday. Fingers crossed for a vaccine, right? Hands folded. Yeah. We're, we'll see. But this yeah. is, I mean, it's had a remarkable impact on the church. And I, I hear a lot of folks talking about it. Elaine Heath is one of them as like a new reformation like how will this change our church yeah yeah yes and it's fun and like learning new techniques for stitching together a service and having silly like right now we're doing hope in the news and of course last week we needed to talk about the election but we wanted to find a fun way to do it so one of our people became von Burgundy. And he put on the Ron Burgundy uh, wig and mustache. And then he's just, he just looks at the camera and says, I'm kind of a big deal. And then talks <laughs> about these highly sensitive topics, but he makes it funny. Yeah. And then it makes it easier for us to move into some prophetic words about it and bring some hope in the midst of it. So 
I love that. Well, um, I could, not only because we're friends and I respect and just adore the heck out of you, um, but because I'm having so much fun, I could spend like hours just sitting and t- well, what about this? How are you doing that? Can I do like to close to honor your time? Um, can I do like some rapid fire questions that I'm yeah, literally fun. just making up? So everybody listening, I do not have a list anywhere, right, Jenny? I'm making direct eye contact. <laughs> just coming up with, okay, in five words or less, answer, tell us, uh, let's see, first question, what gets you out of bed in the morning? My three-year-old, usually literally. <laughs> um, what is the hardest part of church planting in the midst of COVID? Oh, in the midst of COVID. I, for those who are starting right now, more than five words, n- not getting to have the personal relationships not getting to do the networking in the same way. I just, I have a whole list of churches I'm praying for. I'm kind of praying that they can get on the other side so that then they have the chance to do the hard work of planting. They're so innovative and creative and doing so many things, but I feel being six years old, I might as well be an established church because I have relationships with the people already. Yeah. Well, you have tables and chairs and a refrigerator. You are definitely established. Yeah, baby. (laughs) We rent half a bank building. We're fancy. (laughs) Um, Let's see. What does self-care look like for you? Oh, a bath with really good bubble bath, coffee, and a walk. Nice. Um, What is, what are you binge watching on Netflix or Hulu or whatever? My um, eight-year-old asked if we could re-watch Scrubs. So we're going back through and watching Scrubs again. And the three-year-old loves it too. I love it. I've that. already, and we watched Schitt's Creek early, re-watched Schitt's Creek again. Like I think the third or fourth time. So. My husband watched his first few episodes of that last night because the kids and I were like, please come on. It's so good. <laughs> love it. Um, let's see. Uh, how has staffing, if, if it's changed, how has it changed with COVID? Oh, do you know that my staffing changed? No. You didn't even know that, did you? My director of worship um, decided uh, this was too much. And he um, chose, because he was for both the campus ministry and the church. And I fully support him. And he chose to go to the campus ministry entirely. So I am without a director of worship right now. Um. One thing that's helpful, before he did that, we'd already had so much music and each song is recorded individually that um, we had about 80 songs in the can, if you will. And that person I told you about that helped start the church, the technical guy who's also a musician, he's been taking some of that, some of those songs and then adding different instruments to it and redoing them. So it's all, right now, our music is 100% volunteer, which is insane. But there's no point in hiring a a typical director of worship right now. So we hired someone who is in the remote learning, um, opening and closing it, getting lunches out, and then we're calling him a project coordinator. And he set up a studio. So we're now not just setting up a camera and then setting it down. We have a studio set up. So we're fancy. And um, uh, he's learning how to stitch stuff together and create things. So I would have never guessed. Yeah, 
that's, but that's another beautiful example of how you've been able to adapt. You were like, okay, well, I don't need to rehire a director of worship right now. What I need is someone to get out lunches and to create a studio because so much of our content will only be online and you want it to be better quality. So, and what's so cool about the person working for us right now is that he is, he feels called to ordained ministry. He is taking a, he was already taking a gap year this year to raise money to pay for his final year of college. And his goal is to be a, a United Methodist pastor. So Awesome. If he wants to plant, send him to me. I'll add him oh to my, my list, God. my recruitment list. <laughs> yes, you will. Lo- Isaac Simmons, I'll connect you to um, him right away. He's amazing. That's incredible. He's a three. Yay. We love threes. I mean, other numbers are great too, but I was listening to a podcast <laughs> that was like, threes are the only number like where every other number would be embarrassed to admit there are three, but threes are like, oh yeah, this is who I am. I'm like, yes, it's awesome. Get stuff done. <laughs> oh, you can believe he actually just started last week. Our first remote learning support person is someone who'd gotten her degree in child as a child life um, professional and ha- was in the um, interview process. So we got to have a child life professional help us organize our remote learning. What an answer to prayer that is. And then she was hired by an amazing hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Wow, that's incredible. Look at this. Yay. You have been able to do so many incredible things, and I am just so grateful for you. If there is someone out there who's wondering if it's worth it, I mean, all the time, the exhaustion, (laughs) all the juggling you have to do and pivoting, Mm -hmm. um, what would be in closing, like your final words of encouragement? I can't imagine doing anything else. I cannot imagine not getting to be in a church where people are willing to lean into the needs of the community and um, to love absolutely everyone, to uh, be open to learning in new ways. I, I can't imagine having, when you plant a church, you don't have to sacrifice any of your integrity of who God has called you to be. You get to really lean into that. And you're invited to share the vision that God has planted on your heart rather than squelch it for the sake of the people who have been there forever. Mm. It's the best, isn't it? When are you going to plant again, Rachel? Oh, (laughs) I don't know. I get the itch, man, because you're right. Like it, it's so, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And yet I would do it again in a heartbeat because it's so life-giving because you're right. You can be your true authentic self and see how God uses you to impact those who didn't know the love and, and grace of Jesus. And you like, realize you're going to get to pick where you want to go. Like when you're <laughs> ready to play it, all you have to do is put on Facebook, developers, wow me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. I We are threes and we're females, Jenny, which means that we can scare some people with our intensity. They're not used to it coming from, <laughs> from this kind of body. But uh, you know what? God uses us. So that's another thing I love about you. And, and who knows what the future may hold. But um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your ministry at Hope Church. And if anyone listening wants to know more about Jenny or connect with her, she is one of our amazing... Um, chick planters we have a whole group of us and then that support and encourage each other so um feel free to shoot me an email at art gilmore at umc discipleship 
and I can connect you with Jenny or her incredible ministry that she's doing. But, uh, but thank you. Thank you so much. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.